You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. But go ahead, if you would, uh, and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We are going to be in verses 57 through 80. Uh, We're going to finish out chapter 1. Uh, And then spend the next couple of weeks looking at chapter 2 as we've been doing this Advent sermon series called uh, Preparing the Way. Where we've been looking at all of those in Jesus' day to see how they prepared for his arrival. uh, To see how we should be preparing for his return, for his second arrival. Uh, So look to Luke chapter 1. And as you do, let me go ahead and pray for our time. Father, we are now firmly in uh, the, the midst of the, the busy season that is Christmas. I'm sure that there are many of us here that have just been swamped lately with Christmas shopping, Christmas uh, celebrations. Uh, but in the midst of everything going on, Father, I pray that we would just continue to endeavor uh, to keep our eyes fixed upon you. So as we study your word today, I pray that we would just glean from it uh, and see how we ourselves need to be preparing our hearts for Christmas and how we should be meditating on God's arrival to earth and what that means for us. I just ask all of this in Jesus's name. Amen. Uh, Here from the word of the Lord this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. This is God's word. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Uh, And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all of these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all of those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, 
because of their tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is God's word. So a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about that 400-year period of silence between the Old and the New Testament, where for four centuries, God was not on speaking terms with his people until he chose to send an angel named Gabriel uh, to announce the arrival of not only John the Baptist, but also Jesus, the Son of God. So before God's arrival on earth to free us from our bondage to sin, uh, there was that period of silence. But there's also darkness during that time as well. That period is also described as a very dark time for God's people. Um, Isaiah chapter 9 tells us that those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Um, And then on our passage today, uh, we'll also read that the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So Jesus is actually referred to here as a sunrise who will give light to those that Isaiah said had been living in the dark. And next week, we're going to specifically look at the birth of Jesus so that we'll, we'll see that sunrise fully come up over the horizon then. But even with the birth of John the Baptist, we'll at least begin to see that early morning dawn, those first few rays of light that tell us that the sun is on its way uh, and that it is close at hand. So this morning, uh, we're going to walk through the birth story of John the Baptist, and we're going to explore some of these themes of light and darkness in this text. Um, There's a couple of principles that I want us to keep in mind as we go. Uh, The first is that exposure to darkness can lead to doubt. But then secondly, and more importantly, is that exposure to light can help recover our sight. Prolonged spiritual darkness uh, just so often leads to discouragement and doubt, uh, but seeing that dawning light of Christ peek over the horizon that has the power to dispel that doubt, and that light can help recover our spiritual sight. So let's just start at the beginning of our story, uh, see this first principle as we go, that prolonged um, exposure to darkness can lead to doubt. Uh, Last week, we we talked about uh, Mary's stay with Elizabeth uh, and how Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, after Jesus came into her presence, uh, even though Jesus was still inside uh, her womb. And we also talked about John the Baptist 
uh, and how even as an unborn baby, uh, even he was leaping inside Elizabeth's womb in the presence of Jesus. Uh, Well, now the story turns its attention back to Zechariah, who, if you'll remember, uh, he's still under the Lord's discipline uh, for doubting those words of Gabriel. So for the last nine months, he has not been able to speak and he has not even been able to hear. Earlier in the chapter, it only mentioned that he was unable to speak Uh, Gabriel said that he wouldn't be able to say a word until after the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, But now we learn that he he wasn't even able to hear during this time either, uh, which is going to lead to a rather interesting game of charades uh, as the family tries to ask Zechariah about the name that should be given to his newborn son. Uh, But the story uh, starts with Elizabeth giving birth, uh, and then it jumps ahead eight days, Uh, to the day when this baby is supposed to be circumcised. And and as was the custom in this day, uh, this was also when the son would be given a name as well. And so all of the family, all of the the neighbors, friends, relatives, everybody is really excited uh, about this moment. Uh, This is the uh, first and, and an only uh, child that was born to this elderly couple. And so everybody is there to celebrate. Uh, and they all just naturally assume that they're going to name the son after the father, that they're going to want to keep this name in the family uh, because that was the, the tradition or the custom at the time. Uh, but this is where we see Elizabeth step in and she says, no. He shall be called John. And that's where that awkward game of charades takes place, where everybody is trying to make all of these signs at Zechariah to get his input because he can't hear what's going on. Uh, and and there's, there's nobody in their family that was named John, even though John was actually a pretty common, uh, popular Jewish name in this period, nobody in Elizabeth or Zachariah's family had this name. No brothers, no uncles, no cousins. Uh, And so those friends and and family that are there, they kind of give Elizabeth a little bit of pushback for her wanting to break from this tradition uh, you know, you, you typically tried to, to keep names in the family, so everybody just assumed that this son would be called Zachariah Jr. or Little Zachariah. Um, and, and I know that this isn't, you know, part of the, the main point that Luke is trying to, to make in the story, uh, but it is just worth noting that there is nothing in Jewish law that demanded that this baby be given a name that was a a family name. Uh, And there wasn't even anything that necessitated that he be given this name on the eighth day, on the same day that he was being circumcised. Um, All of that uh, was just tradition. All of that was just a part of the customs of their day. But Zechariah and Elizabeth's decision to, to break from that custom and to name their son John, that that wasn't a a tradition. That was a a commandment that was given to them directly from God. God told them to name their son John. 
And I think that we would do well to learn from that example uh, and to remember never to get too accustomed to our customs. Because the commands that God gives us, the commands that come from God's word, they are far more important to obey uh, than any traditions of the church or man. So, So Zechariah doesn't let tradition dictate his decision in this matter. Um, Instead, he asks for a writing tablet, uh, which is probably just a a simple piece of wood. Uh, Normally, they would pour some wax on it, um, and then you would take a stick, and you could write simple messages in the wax before it dried. And he scribbles on this tablet, his name is John. And, And then suddenly... This is where we see that the mouth of the one who has been unable to speak is now opened. His tongue is let loose, and he can now sing praises to God once again after being silent for nine months. And in a moment, we're going to focus on the specific words that Zechariah says. But before we do that, I just want to spend a little bit more time thinking about this doubt that had closed that mouth of Zechariah in the first place. I want to think about that doubt that he had that got him into this predicament. Because Zechariah's doubt is actually just an example uh, that illustrates the mistrust and the doubt that has descended upon the people of God as a whole. Because there was... Uh, There were many in Zechariah's day that had also begun to doubt the Lord as well. That's why Zechariah will go on to later say that the people of Israel have been setting in darkness or in the shadow of death. Over the years, there have been many difficulties that the people of God have been facing, um, especially as they were forced to live as exiles in Babylon. There were many difficult uh, decisions uh, that, that had to be made while in exile, many difficulties that faced, uh, and all of those difficulties have led to an atmosphere or just feeling of darkness for God's people, especially during those 400 years of silence, 400 years where they were waiting to be rescued, but it didn't look like there was any rescuer on the horizon. So their difficulties have led to darkness. And that darkness is soon going to lead them down a path towards doubt. Depression is a mental and spiritual darkness that can creep into our souls when we begin to doubt. And when we begin to lose sight of the hope that we can have in God. I mean, when life just hands you defeat after defeat, that can lead you to some pretty dark places. And that darkness, it just begins to to close in around you, and it can cause you to doubt the goodness of God. And that doubt, if left to linger, if left untreated, it can quickly turn into despair. It can become paralyzing. We are experiencing um, a rapidly growing climate of spiritual doubt and darkness in our own society right now. Um, I've been reading a new book called uh, The Great Dechurching 
Um, and I highly recommend it. Um, if you want to learn more about some of the reasons why many Americans uh, recently have been walking away from the church in droves, um, especially since COVID, um, even if you're not a reader, uh, I still encourage you to, to ask me about the book. I'll give you the, the highlights if you don't want to read it yourself. Uh, but there's a lot of sobering, uh, even alarming statistics uh, in this book that Christians should be aware of. Uh, for example, it's estimated that about 40% of those living in our own country, uh, or sorry, not 40%, uh, 40 million, 40 million of those living in our own country, so that's one in six Americans, um, have now walked away from the church. Uh, and that's mostly just within the last 25 to 30 years, uh, since the, the turn of the 21st century. Uh, these are individuals uh, who used to attend church at least once a month, uh, but now they say they attend church less than once a year. And, and if you look back at the history of church attendance in our country, uh, this is actually the largest, most rapid decline uh, that we have ever experienced as a country. Uh, so it's safe to say that there is a cloud of doubt and skepticism that is descending on our country. People are losing hope. Uh, for the first time in decades, there are actually more Americans who don't claim to belong to any church or a place of worship than those who do. And that's, some, that's a pretty dramatic tipping point in our nation that can only be headed in a direction towards deeper uh, darkness. But before we let things get too gloomy for us, um, let's just take some time to also talk about the light that can come from this passage as well. Um, and, and then I'll share some more statistics from that book uh, that should actually be an encouragement for us. Because uh, I, I don't want to leave you discouraged this morning. I want to offer us hope. And as we study the, the specific words of Zechariah's song, uh, there's actually reason for lots of hope here, because he is going to sing about that sunrise that is capable of dispelling the world's darkness. We've seen now that exposure to darkness can lead to doubt. So let's work through the rest of this text and see how exposure to light can help recover our sight. And let's see if there is any hope for those 40 million Americans who have walked away from the bride of Christ. Let's see how that dawning light of Christ who is about to be born can dispel the shadows that are lurking even down in the darkest pits of darkness, even in the, the deepest pits. Um, verse 67 uh, we are told that in the midst of all that's going on, Zechariah, he begins to prophesy. Just like the words that Mary spoke, uh, these words here in this passage are written as poetry. They sound just like one of the Psalms of the Old Testament. Um, and we don't know if Zechariah actually sung these words himself, uh, but we do know that the early church often did. If they have had a, you know, a Christian radio station back then, this would have been near uh, the top of the chart, I'm sure. Zechariah, he starts his song by saying, uh, Blessed, 
be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I love that those are the first words out of Zechariah's mouth. After nine months of not being able to talk, he doesn't start by trying to catch up with his wife and tell her about all the things that he wanted to tell her during that time. Um, He doesn't even tell her about the encounter that he had with Gabriel. I mean, if you had encountered an angel and then you had lost your voice and then all of a sudden were able to speak again, you think that you might want to, you know, that might be the first thing that you want to tell other people is about uh, what happened to you in the first place and how you got into that predicament. But no, the, the first words out of his mouth are praise to God, saying, blessed be the Lord God, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Just like God visited and walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, so too is God now coming again to dwell with his people. And this time, God is arriving as a new and better Adam, far better than the one who lived back in the garden. The first Adam, he ate the forbidden fruit and he caused all of this spiritual darkness to begin with. But this second Adam, whose name is Jesus, will arrive like the morning dawn in order to dispel that darkness. Zechariah says that he will be like a horn of salvation. His arrival will be like a trumpet blast or a a victory cry that will cause the enemy to flee in retreat. Because all of those who submit their lives to Jesus, they now have the opportunity to be saved. The ones who had been defeated by their own sin can now blow those horns of salvation, shouting victory. Zechariah also reminds us that all of this was foretold by the prophets of old. All of the Old Testament has been leading up to this point. What's about to happen next is the climax of Scripture. God is about to remember his covenant, that oath that he once swore to Abraham. All of his promises are about to find their fulfillment in Jesus. And Zechariah and his wife and their newborn son, they're going to get to witness this with their own eyes. In fact, their son, John the Baptist, he's going to have a vital role in preparing the people for Jesus's arrival. In the last verses of our text, we're told that John will grow and become strong in the spirit. And he'll also go out and live in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, when you think about the wilderness, uh, that's where the nation of Israel first learned to follow God. Um, After the Lord freed his people from Egypt, it was in the wilderness that they wandered and the Lord led them around on the way to the promised land. So it was not uncommon for people in John's day uh, to go back out into the desert uh, on a sort of spiritual retreat. They would get away from the busyness of civilization in order to find a new beginning and try to reconnect with the Lord. And so this is actually where John, we're told, is going to spend most of his life. And honestly, if we think about that, that is where we will often have our best encounters with the Lord as well. 
not during those seasons of comfort uh, and plenty, uh, but when we are out wandering through some of life's most difficult uh, deserts, when we are out in the, the thick of that wilderness where we are forced to live in complete dependence upon the Lord. So John's going to spend much of his life out in the wilderness. Uh, but we also learn about him in verse 76 that he will be called the prophet of the Most High, for he will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. We should all pay close attention to this calling of John the Baptist. Because our calling as Christians today is nearly identical to his. We may not be asked to live out in the wilderness and eat locusts and wear, you know, camel hair coats or anything. Uh, But we are to prepare the way for the Lord, not for his first coming, but for his second Just as Christ came to the earth 2,000 years ago, uh, so too will he one day return. Not as a helpless babe, but this time as a triumphant king. And there are a lot of people that are not yet ready or prepared for that return if it were to happen today. Which is why we must be ready to echo the words of verse 78. To to all who are willing to hear that because of the tender mercy of our God, that sunrise, who is Jesus, has visited us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the, the way of peace. This is where I want to spend the next few minutes of our time focusing on the sunrise of our Savior. Because I know for some of you, even if you are a Christian, sometimes you just feel like you're still setting in darkness. And when it feels like it's the dead of night, if it's pitch black outside, I know that can be very discouraging and even disorienting. If you could at least see the sun then you could at least tell what time of day it is based on its position in the sky. But when it's the middle of the night, it's much harder to tell when that night is going to end. And sometimes it might even feel like it is never going to end, like the sun might not ever peak back up over that horizon. But if you are a follower of Jesus... I just want you to understand that it doesn't matter what kind of depression or darkness you might be facing. Please know that the dawn of Christ has come. Sometimes your eyelids might be closed and you can't see the light that is around you, but it is there. If you have been adopted into the family of God through the blood of Jesus, then the Bible says that you are a child of light. Uh, There's a phrase that Zechariah uses here in the middle of verse 79. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Um, He not only talks about how people have been setting in darkness, uh, but he also talks about those living in the shadow of death. Um, He's just echoing the words of David from Psalm 23, 
uh, who wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And that's always been kind of a, a disheartening thought for me to think that death lurks so close to us uh, that we're really just living in its shadow. Uh, but there's a pastor that helped me see a, a more positive side to that uh, this week. I was listening to the pastor, J.D. Greer, uh, who said that he was actually thankful that the shadow of death is all we have to deal with as Christians. Because Jesus already took on the real thing. He already conquered and defeated death when he rose from the grave on the third day. And nothing now remains but a lingering shadow. And when you think about a shadow, when it passes over you, it might cause a little bit of darkness for a while, but that's all a shadow can do. Even children understand that shadows uh, can't do any real harm, and there's nothing to be afraid of. So even if our bodies will still one day wear out, um, even if we still one day must face our own mortality, our own death, um, we can be thankful that passages like this teach us that death is not really the end. Passing into eternity is really just going to be like walking through someone's shadow, It can't do you any harm, and once you get to the other side, the light will return. Revelation 22 makes it clear that in eternity, that not even the shadows will be there any longer. One day, even the shadow of death will be no more. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, we are promised that there will be no more night. Darkness will be no more. So as we close this morning, I want to go back to some uh, more statistics uh, that I was talking to you about earlier uh, from that uh, great de-churching book. I, I gave you some more of the discouraging stats earlier, uh, but I just want to leave you uh, with one of hope. Uh, the authors that wrote that book, uh, they surveyed over 4,000 individuals uh, who were de-churched. Uh, they had been regular churchgoers. Uh, but now they no longer went. And one of the last questions they asked them on the survey was, would you go back? Would you ever return? And over half of the individuals that responded to that survey said yes. Now, some of them were still Christian. They had just gotten out of the habit of going uh, to gather weekly with other believers You know, it's kind of like having a gym membership, but uh, getting out of that routine of going to exercise. They knew that they needed to go, um, and they knew that their spiritual lives would be healthier if they went. Uh, They just needed someone who was willing to encourage them uh, back, to to welcome them back into the fold. Uh, Many of the others that were surveyed, though, they were actually uh, never Christian to begin with. Uh, They were just culturally Christians. Uh, They had just gone because they grew up in church, their family went to church, their friends went to church. Um, It was something that they did, uh, but they weren't actually Christians themselves. Uh, But even many of those non-Christians that had stopped going to church, um, even they also said they would be willing to return. 
Um, even though they didn't fully understand the gospel themselves, they at least recognized the impact the gospel had on the lives of those who were followers of Christ. Uh, many reasons uh, that the nominal or cultural Christians gave for leaving the church uh, wasn't because they had stopped seeing the value of God or because they had stopped seeing the value of belonging to a local congregation, most of the reasons for their departure actually had more to do with the dysfunctional and even hostile culture of the church itself. Many of them said that they had felt that the church had become far too divided over politics and had lost its focus on Jesus. And that was the non-Christian churchgoers saying that. All right, they said if the church would once again regain its focus on Christ, they would be more than willing to consider coming back, especially if there were those who would be willing to be like a John the Baptist who would go before the Lord to help prepare their hearts and walk with them as they came back. So even though sometimes our world may seem rather dark or bleak, that light of Christ it has not been extinguished. It is still burning bright. Jesus is like that sunrise coming up over the horizon, shining light that can penetrate even into the deepest valley and that can dispel even the darkest shadow. And even when sometimes it looks like others are just walking away from the bride of Christ, they're leaving the church, that light of Christ still has the power to draw them back. It's still at, uh, at work, drawing people closer into his throne. Now, now, bringing them back will still take a lot of work on our part, uh, but wherever the light of Christ is still shining, uh, there is always hope. Uh, and the season of Advent and the season of Christmas reminds us of that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for just hope-filled passages like this. Um, I know that when we turn on our TVs or we, we listen to the radio or surf the internet, uh, there's so much out there that can discourage us. Uh, the world can be filled with so much darkness, uh, but Zechariah's song reminds us that your light is stronger than any darkness. It's not darkness that can dispel the light it's always the light that has the power to chase out the darkness. So this Christmas season, Father, may we just remember and cling to the powerful hope that we can have in the dawning light of Christ. I just ask all of this.